It's going to be from Luke 3, verses 1 through 14. Actually, we'll go all the way down through verse 18. Uh, but I wanted to just read through verse 14 as we get into the lesson this morning. Clayton did that for us. And in these uncertain times, we need to be reminded of things which are certain. And Luke 3 is certainly historically, morally, and spiritually certain. And we're going to talk about historical good news, moral good news, and spiritual good news. But as we kind of get into this lesson this morning, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you as we begin today. Just this past week, uh, one evening, I don't watch the evening news much anymore. It's not good for my health. <laughs> but I happened to catch a few images, a few photos that they were showing on the evening news. And it was of the Capitol. And how the Capitol, the perimeter, now has this fence that runs all the way around it. And, and there's, there's razor wire. Razor wire. Inside the Capitol building, there are soldiers sleeping in there. Staying in there. Camped in there. Inside our Capitol building. And it was said, this kind of thing has not happened since the Civil War. I kind of thought about that. And then uh, I thought about just a couple of years ago, my wife and I and uh, our son, which he lives in Bowling Green now, which is just a little north of, of Tennessee. We took an afternoon and we went down to Franklin, Franklin, Tennessee. Some of you may be familiar with the fact that that's where the Battle of Franklin took place. Civil War battle, the Battle of Franklin. It's not as well known as some of the other Civil War battles. But I want to tell you, it was one of the largest battles of the Civil War. November 30th, 1864. The battle didn't begin till about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Lasted about 5 hours. Thousands of soldiers died there. Six generals. Six. More than any other battle in the Civil War. Six died there. We got a chance to tour the mansion, the house that is there. It's called Carnton. Not easy to pronounce. In the upper floors, there are large bedrooms. And of course, in that day and time, bedrooms were always heated with fireplaces. They had turned that mansion into a field hospital. And on the floor there next to one of the fireplaces, there are stains, blood stains. They said that's where limbs were being amputated and then placed there on the floor. Kind of puts an image in your mind. <laughs> I thought about that and they talked about how that battle was fought in the evening and then into the kind of into the night. And the next morning there were soldiers, horses laying on the battlegrounds out there. And those six generals were lined up. And I thought to myself, what if you could have walked up to, you couldn't. <laughs> But what if you could, the next morning, walked up to one of those generals and said, Who won? Who won? You know what I think they would have said? Nobody. I think there's another question you need to ask. How did we get here? Because <laughs> this wasn't this nation fighting against another nation. This was this nation fighting itself. How did we get here? James asked the question in James, the fourth chapter. He says, where do wars come?
come from? <laughs> where do they where do they come from? It's uncertain times, there's no doubt about that. And in uncertain times, we need to be reminded of things which are certain. And I think that's where the book of Luke comes in. <laughs> and where the third chapter comes in. Because Luke writes about things that are factual, things that are certain, and things that we can count on. Historically, morally, spiritually. And so sometimes in the midst of chaos and turmoil, whether it's in our lives or whether it's in society or whether it's in an entire nation, we need to be reminded of that which is certain, that which is factual, that which is true. What's the sure foundation that we can stand on? I didn't have the 18th verse of Luke 3 led because we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But I want you to keep this in mind because as I was studying this, I thought, boy, that's an interesting fact that is stated there in Luke 3 and verse 18. Because we're going to take a look at what John has to say on that occasion. You remember John? <laughs> John the Baptist <laughs> coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. But in Luke, the third chapter, in verse 18, it says that he preached the gospel. Some translations just say he preached to the people. But in other translations, the ESV and the Revised Standard Version, it says that he preached the gospel to the people. John <laughs> preached the gospel to those people. Keep that in mind as we give consideration this morning. Because whenever we talk about the gospel, whenever we talk about the good news, we need to hear all of it. <laughs> and I think that's what the emphasis of that passage is trying to show us. We need to hear all the good news. So first of all, the historical good news. Luke, the third chapter, and I'll just read verses 1 through 6 uh, quickly. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Verse 2. The word of the Lord came to John. That's the same type of language that you find in the Old Testament with the Old Testament prophets just before they set out on a mission. And it says the word of God came to them. <laughs> and Luke records that. That the word from God came to John. Verse 3. So he went into the region of the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then he quotes from Isaiah, verses 4 through 6, and essentially what he's saying is, the word came to John. John went out on this mission, and this was prophesied. So Luke writes that. And he says that all flesh shall see be the salvation of God. Sounds like good news to me, doesn't it, you? Good news? It was good news. But when you read John's message, and we'll follow up on this in just a minute, <laughs> you got to ask yourself, those who first heard, <laughs> did that sound like good news to them? <laughs> when John first began to preach, 
But what I want to suggest is that, first of all, historically, this is good news, and we need to understand it that way. This is historical fact. And what I want us to notice from this is, as Luke is writing, he's a historian, he's a physician, (laughs) he's interested in facts, and researching those facts, recording those facts, and he's writing to his friend, whoever that might be, Theophilus. And so as he writes these things, I want us to also notice, it's almost as Luke is saying to us and to Theophilus, I want you to check this out. Because these are the facts. And I want you to know the facts. And you know, a lot of times, well, it used to be, (laughs) you would fact check things, and if you had like two or three witnesses, that was sufficient. There's a lot lot of stuff out there nowadays that is not being fact checked, so that's just my soapbox for the day. (laughs) But normally, you give two or three witnesses, and it's been fact checked, and so here, you know what Luke does? He gives at least six. And he's saying, Theophilus, check this out. So what Luke is going to do, he's going to tell about who's in power. Because Luke doesn't write for us in Luke the third chapter or in Luke the first chapter either. Now, it was 28 A.D., Theophilus, when these things took place. That's not the way he writes it. So what he says, he says, during the reign of Tiberius Caesar, in the 15th year, so go find out when Tiberius Caesar was crowned. Count up 15 years, that's when this takes place. Okay. And Luke says, no, that's not enough. I want to tell you, this is also why a pilot was governor over Judea. So think about this like this. It was during the period of time when Donald Trump was in the White House and, Mark, and Mike Parsons was governor in Missouri. So can you nail that down? Because that's going to change here pretty quick. Okay? But that, that kind of helps you get the pinpoint, right? Okay, I got it. No, I'm not done. Because <laughs> I want to tell you, Herod was tetriarch of Galilee. His brother Philip was tetriarch in Iturea and Trachonitis. And Lysanias was tetriarch of Abilene. Oh, wow. So now you've got all these people that had to be in power at exactly the same time. When did that begin and when did that happen? So you you can start to nail that thing down. Got it, Luke. Thank you. No, I'm not done. I want to tell you this is during a period of time when Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. Wait a minute. Now we got a problem. You're mentioning two high priests, and there's only one. No, you go check it out. Because during this time, Annas had been politically removed. See, if you didn't get along with the powers that be, <laughs> they'll take you out. So Caiaphas is the high priest. But we all know Annas is behind the scenes. He's still pulling the reins. But at that point in time, Annas and Caiaphas were both high priests. So check all that out. And when you find that all out, you can pretty well nail when this is happening, what I'm telling you about. So why does Luke give all that detail? Turn back to chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, 
just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to them, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Theophilus, I want you to check this out. I want you to know the certainty of this. And this is kind of the opening salvo, so to speak. I want you to be fully confident in what I'm telling you. Because there's other things to follow that I want you to be fully confident of. That's good news. Historically. This is the time politically. Historically. And this is the time of John. And this is the person I'm going to first tell you about. And this person, God prophesied, had Isaiah prophesy about, that he would come. Let me tell you something else about John. In John chapter 1, or in Luke chapter 1, I'm sorry. Luke says, let me tell you about this John that was coming. See, he had this father that was a priest. But he was an old guy, a really old guy. Married to this old woman. (laughs) And one day, an angel by the name of Gabriel, when Zacharias had gone in to burn incense, Gabriel appeared to him. And you can imagine Theophilus thinking, what? <laughs> yeah. Really old guy. Really old woman. And Gabriel says, you're going to have a son. And you're going to name him John. Sounds a little out there, Luke. All right, Theophilus, this is what I want you to do. I want you to check it out. Because in Luke chapter 1, about verse 65, you know what it says? They had a child. And this story went throughout all of Judea. My wife's aunt is in an assisted living home. There's a lot of old women in there. Not one of them's having a baby. <laughs> but if one of them did, you think that might make the local news? <laughs> That's what Luke's saying. Check it out, Theophilus. That story went throughout all Judea. This old couple had a child, and that child was named John. And God gave him a mission. And his mission was to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. That's good news. Historically, that's when that happened. And so he tells him who was sitting on the throne in Rome, who was governing over Judea, who were all the local leaders. And I'm going to tell you something else about the, name, the men that are mentioned there. Those men are dangerous. Those are dangerous men. You read the history of those men. They were cruel. Insensitive. They would massacre people. To achieve their political agendas. So Theophilus should check it out. And I want you to know the time. I want you to know the certainty. I want you to know about this John. I want you to know about the mission. 
and God had planned it out. John, I need you to deliver this message now. So here's the question. What do you think Theophilus was thinking as he read this? Oh yeah? I know those rulers. I know of that time. Maybe he had even heard of that story about that old couple. And that John? Now I get it. Now I get it. What he was doing. So let me ask you this question. Let's suppose you're John. How are you going to ease into this? You're the one that's been chosen. You've got a message. You know the environment. You know those who are in charge. How are you going to ease into this? Secondly, this is moral good news. In Luke 3 and verses 3 through 6, in verse 3 it said, John went into all the region to preach a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Two words. Repentance. Sins. Repent. There's a problem. Sin. So what should we do about the problem? You should repent. Things are wrong. People are wrong. There's sin. You need to repent. Luke chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Speaking about John, it says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's John's mission. Turn their hearts. Prepare the way. The king is coming. The kingdom is upon you. And if you're going to benefit from this king and from this kingdom, then you've got to do more than just change your ways. Your hearts have got to be changed. Do you remember on one occasion when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they were asking about the coming of the kingdom? And he said, you shall not see it come with observation because the kingdom of God is within you. That's where I want to rule. In here. So John, his role is to prepare the people. To prepare the people for the king. To come into his territory. What territory? Judea? Galilee? Is that the territory that he's supposed to prepare that the king might be able to come into it? Because if that's the way it is, then John didn't do a very good job. Back years ago, when I was living in California, I remember one time Ronald Reagan was going to come right through Garden Grove on Garden Grove Boulevard. And at that particular time, I was working for a lawn service. 
And right out there along Garden Grove Boulevard, nice big house, big yard, and the road crews were out there working on that thing. <laughs> and when they got done with Garden Grove Boulevard, it was like glass. <laughs> but I never did see or read about John out there with a shovel and a pick and a spade or whatever, smoothing things out. That wasn't what he was doing. He's getting the territory ready, but it's not the hills and the valleys of Jordan. Their hearts. You got to get their hearts ready, John. You got to remember this. In order for there to be a kingdom, and I've said this before, we'll say it again because we got to get this, right? (laughs) In order for there to be a kingdom, there's got to be a king, there's got to be a law, there's got to be subjects, there's got to be a territory. The king of Jesus. The law is the new covenant. The subjects are those who will bow the knee to him. And the territory over which he rules, their hearts. John, I want you to prepare the, prepare the way. So they can receive their king. So they can receive the kingdom. I don't want to just change their lives. I want to change their hearts. And then that will change their lives. Here's an illustration from recently. Have you noticed that the people on the right in this country politically point at the people on the left? (laughs) This is my left. That's your left. They point at the people on the left and they say, you got to change your ways. And the people on the left, they point at the people on the right and they say, you got to change your ways. And so you know what they do? They fight for power because if I've got the power, I'll change your ways. <laughs> Just this past week, there was a certain speaker of the house (laughs) that wanted everyone to wear a mask. They weren't all wearing a mask. So you know what they did? $2,500, you don't wear that mask. They started wearing a mask. (laughs) I got the power. I'll change your ways. But if you noticed... Nobody's saying anything about changing hearts. I just want to change your ways. And there's a way in which men go about that. You just need power. And once you're in power, you can change people's ways. But that's not what John is doing. That's not what Jesus wants. He wants to change their hearts. And so I want you to prepare the way, John. I want to read to you from Luke the third chapter. Now verses seven through ten. John, you're up. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do? Luke 3, 7 through 10 is Malachi 3 and verse 1. (laughs) Behold, I send my messenger before you to prepare your way. I want you to notice now from Luke the first chapter and verses 1 and 2 this is John now and God has selected him 
And he wants him to deliver a message. This is his messenger with his message. And this is what I want you to deliver. In Mark, the first chapter, verses 1 and 2, it says, The beginning of the gospel, the good news, of Jesus Christ, verse 2, As it was written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. And so how does John ease into this? He says, you brood of vipers. Now, is it just me? Or does that sound just a little harsh? Do you know what this is? This is the parable of the sower. Remember when Jesus taught the parable of the sower and then later they asked him for an explanation? And he says, some of that seed falls by the wayside. And Satan will come and snatch it away. Because he doesn't have any chance to get down into the soil. Some of that soil is hard. And it has to be prepared. And those who have ever been around farming will tell you that sometimes farmers will talk about breaking ground. (laughs) You have to break it up before you can ever plant any seed in it. You have to get it to where it can be penetrated. And so John has come into a world that's corrupt. Religiously, politically, and morally. And the ground is hard. But they've been sailing along. But you know where that path they're on, that they're just sailing along on, you know where it's going to lead? It's going to lead to destruction. And John says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? They've been sailing down this road. And somebody has to tell them, you got to hit the brakes. (laughs) Something bad's about to happen. And you need to get their attention. Let me ask you this. It's a sunny day out there. You ever been out on the highway? Sailing along. Your mind's just on other things. Maybe you've got the radio on. And you're doing about 80 miles an hour. Come on now. You ever been there? And then all of a sudden, there's lights in your rearview mirror. (laughs) And your eyes get big, and your heart starts to pound, and you think, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And you know that what you were doing was wrong. And so you ease on over to the side of the road and then the officer walks up, you roll down your window and you look up with a smile on your face and you go, is there a problem? (laughs) You know there's a problem. He knows there's a problem. And so now he's got your attention. See, that happens. It happens in individuals' lives. It happens in families. It happens in nations. And so God's messenger, with his message, and this is like the opening act, he's preparing the way because the king's coming. I got to get your attention. You need to hit the brakes. Because you keep going, something bad's going to happen. 
So John first and primarily was sent to the Jews. I want you to notice verse 8, Luke 3, verse 8. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin again to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. That lets you know he's talking to the Jews. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. But you know what he's saying? Your religion alone won't save you. Just having religion is not enough. You need to live like you're in a relationship with God. And you need to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Your life has got to reflect your relationship to God. Verse 9. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So what's John or what's John saying? You've seen the lights come on. They've on now. <laughs> and now you you gotta make a choice. You can bring forth fruit in accordance with repentance. Or the axe is laying at the root of this tree. And God will cut it down. That's true for the Jews. That's true for individuals. That's true for nations. So Luke 3, 10 through 14. So the people asked him saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. And likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. What do we do? Before I answer that, I want, I want to make this point. John and Jesus essentially teach the same message. <laughs> but their styles are different. Their styles are different. So in verse 10... They ask, what must we do? And this is kind of the point where we need to say, America, listen up. Listen up. Verse 11. He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. You know what that is? That's Matthew 7 and verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's what's morally right. Be generous. Share your prosperity. Your money. Your clothes. Your food. As once someone said about this. If you want to know if Christianity is making a difference in someone's heart, then watch and see if it affects their money. <laughs> watch and see if it affects their possessions. So what do you have? Do you have two tunics? Do you have more than enough to share with someone else? Do you have plenty of food? Share with someone else. God has blessed you and through you He can bless somebody else. Let the message of God and Jesus Christ 
touch your heart the territory over which He wants control. Because if Jesus Christ touches your heart, He'll open your hand. You know what men want to do though? We want to pry it out of your hand. If I've got the power, I'll take your money. What Jesus would say is if if I got to pry it out of your hand, I don't want it. And John's saying, if the gospel gets to you, he'll change your heart. And that'll change your ways. And that'll open your hand. Secondly, verses 12 and 13. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Does that sound reasonable? You know what that's saying? That's saying be ethical and work and work with integrity. He doesn't tell them to quit what they're doing. They're tax collectors for the government. Government is essential in order for there to be a civilized society. Romans the 13th chapter. But have you ever heard the words rip off? <laughs> I've just been ripped off. <laughs> Do you think the government ever rips off their citizens? <laughs> think citizens ever try to rip off the government? So he tells them you can collect taxes. Just be ethical about it. Show integrity. You know what else this is saying? This is on both sides of the coin. Don't game the system. Don't game the system. And that's what happens sometimes. Governments want to take more than what they should. And then on the other side of that coin, sometimes people try to take advantage of that. So today, sometimes they're collecting more than they should. And then those in society, some are not working with integrity. Do you ever hear of anybody just trying to live off the government? Yeah. You know what Paul said about that? If a man won't work, don't let him eat. Don't game the system. Government, don't game the system. Citizens, don't game the system. Have a little integrity. Either way, it's wrong. It's unethical. When you try to take advantage of the system. Or the system tries to take advantage of you. Verse 14. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. This is a soldier. But it's not so much just about a soldier. It's not so much just about who they are. But it's more about what they represent. And you know what they represent? They represent a position of power and authority. 
But isn't it amazing? Before I expound on that a little bit. Here's the soldiers. And they've been listening to what John has to say. And we start off and he says, You brood of vipers. And we think, Whoa, that's kind of harsh. <laughs> but as he continues to talk, it's kind of like this message is starting to penetrate. Now the tax collectors come and they say, What should we do? And then the soldiers come and they say, What should we do? I think that's kind of amazing. But as you think about these soldiers, and you think about the position, you think about the power, you think about the influence that they have. Do you think that sometimes people with position and power use that position and that power and that influence to enrich themselves? Have you ever known anyone in that kind of position of influence and power that would enrich themselves, whether it be religious leaders or political leaders or business leaders? And they use it to their advantage and abuse those that are under them? So in the latter part of verse 14, he says, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Would you like to tell our politicians that? I'd like to tell them that. And those who are in power and have influence, don't extort and don't use and abuse those who are underneath you. And what John's saying Stop it. Just stop. And that's spiritually good news. Luke, the third chapter. Now I'll read verse 15 through 18. Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and a fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. That's the New King James Version. New American Standard. With many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people. The ESV, he preached good news. The RSV, he preached good news. It's kind of hard for us to think and wrap our minds around the fact that when he opens, he says, you brood of vipers. <laughs> and that's good news. Yeah, that's good news. Because somebody needs to tell them. You need to hit the brakes. Because this road you're on, it just leads one place. And that's to destruction. Look in the rearview mirror. So I'll ask you this question before we close. You remember Franklin? The Battle of Franklin. There's an old saying. Those who fail to learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. November 30th, 1864. That wasn't us fighting a foreign power. That was us fighting us. So we need to preach the good news. All of it. 
John and Jesus preached the same message. They just had a little bit different styles. John lived in the desert. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. But his message, like John's, was repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. John was a man on a mission from God. And he lived and he preached in volatile times. And he preached to dangerous people. You know how I know that? Because one of those people that's listed there in Luke the third chapter, just a short time later, took his life. Cut his head off. Because somebody didn't want to hear. What John had to say. But you want to know what Jesus said about John? He said, Of those born among women, there is none greater than John. He was a man with a message, and he delivered it. A nation that does not bear good fruit. Eventually, God will cut them down. That's the message to America from John the Baptist. You're here this morning, never rendered obedience unto the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to do that very thing today. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If your child of God has not been living as you should, I encourage you to come back, make your life right with Him today. If we can help in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.